So we're going to actually start a brand new series this morning called The Gospel Work. And I've been telling you for a few weeks we we're going to do this, and I'm super excited. This is actually a book that I read at the end of last year, and I was really blessed by what uh, I found there in the book. And that might, I don't know, surprise you not. I mean, I don't read a whole bunch. I do, but not, not as much as I probably should. I read more scripture than anything, which is good, right? But, but this book really kind of forced me to re-examine some of the things that I assumed were true of work and maybe how I live my life. Um, and I was hoping, as I was praying, that as we gather, uh, it would have the same effect on you and I together this morning as well. Um, one of our desires at Family Bible Church, and I love this because we're in February already here, and my desire and, and our desire as a leadership team is to connect the relationship we have with Jesus Christ in very practical ways in our lives right? That, that we would live out our faith, that we'd be found to be those who are through and through Christians. That means followers of Jesus every day of our lives. And this, I was so excited because this is a very practical way that we can connect a huge part of our life to the gospel of Jesus and who he calls us to be. I don't know if you've ever experienced any frustration between your job and your, your following after Jesus, right? Uh, the, being a disciple, I don't know if you ever, you know, have any trouble at all reconciling those two worlds. Maybe what you do through the week and then what you do on Sundays, or maybe what you do in your morning devotion versus what you do at 4 o'clock in the afternoon that day at work. I, I remember distinctly a time in my life where I was so frustrated with what I was doing in life. I was so frustrated, and I can tell you, and this is really funny, because what I would say is um, I was a printer guy. It seems like a crazy job description, but my job was to fix printers for company, for the company I worked for. And, and then ironically, I, I, I was a non-believer when I did that, and then I got laid off from that job. I came to faith in Christ, and I got hired by another company to be a printer guy. And I was really frustrated with, well, well how does my Christianity connect to this life that I've always had, Right? And, and I really remember, but I was frustrated with being a printer guy before Christ. I'm not saying that's what brought it, but I really started to wrestle. How does this connect? How do, how do I connect what I do every week for 40 hours a week or 45 or 50 hours a week with what I believe to be true in my entire life? And, and that set me on this path of discovery of what God was calling uh, me to do in my life. For the next four weeks, I'm going to ask you to go with me on this journey of examining how the gospel affects our work, how the gospel changes the way we view work. And, it, and don't get ahead of me because it might not be. That's why I love this book. It might not be the way you assume. It might not be the way I assumed it would shape and change me. So today, I'm hoping that we can lay a foundation as we consider the concept of work from a biblical point of view. So today is a pretty, it's like the foundation work for the next three weeks, and we're going to get into some very specific things, but we want to talk about this kind of idea, this whole idea of work, and what, how it uh, serves us or doesn't serve us in our lives. So I'm going to ask you to, we always do, I'm going to ask you to pray with me that God would impart wisdom this morning. We come together to worship him. We come to celebrate who he is. And we come asking him for counsel, for intercession, uh, and for his mercy and grace for us today. So if you would please pray with me. Father, we are in awe of your presence, and we are. We, we are so pleased to be able to worship you and to celebrate the life we have in you. We recognize this morning 
that, that the entire creation groans for you, that the entire creation longs for this coming life that you're bringing into this broken world. And today we're part of that. We come here today from all of the, the mess of our life and the stuff we bring in here. And you know who we are. You know our hearts. But we come longing for something more, longing for more of you. And so today, Father God, as we gather together and we consider what your scripture teaches us about this very important topic of work, I pray that we have open eyes and open ears to hear and understand what you would have us to know. I pray, Father God, that it would not be my words as a broken, flawed, sin-filled man, but it would be the empowering of your Holy Spirit that you would not only cause me to preach your word rightly today, but you would cause every person here to hear it rightly in their hearts. And may you do your work amongst your people as we celebrate this life you've given us in Jesus' name. Amen. So that's kind of what we're going to talk about in this series, okay? Um, I, I kind of have a question as we get started, because this is a, you know, just a way to kind of break the ice a little bit here. But what is the first thing you might ask a person that you want to get to know? Anyone? When you walk up, after you kind of get through the formality of the weather and stuff, what might you ask? If you want to get to know somebody, you're going to say what? What do you do? Is that what somebody said? What do you do? Sometimes I've heard it say, what do you do for a living? <laughs> right? What do you do for a living? And then we have to go through our mental vocabulary of our roles and responsibilities and decide what defines us. How, but we know what it means, right? It means how do you make a living or how do you make a wage? Uh, how do you um, contribute to the productivity of this world, of this life? or of this nation, or town, or whatever, right? I was stunned to read some statistics about work. To, I want to kind of set this up as it's kind of a big deal, you know? Um, work is one of those things that when, I don't know if you were like me, I got a job like right, I mean, I was still in high school, I was not even old enough to be employed yet legally, and I got a job, you know? And I've been working like that. Many of you are like that. You've been working the whole time. Um, I, I was amazed. It's not one of the things you kind of fall into, and then you, you kind of don't ever stop to examine what, what you're doing with it, maybe. I read through some statistics. These are from last year um, in our country, and I was surprised by some of these things. The first, and this is what I really wanted to find out. This is what I was looking for. How many hours of our life do we end up working? I wanted to know that, right? How many hours? By the way, I was surprised to find one stat, which is that most Americans right now don't work 40 hours a week. Do you know that's true? Most Americans work 40.7, or 47 hours a week. Seven point something more than 40 hours. Most people work more than 40 hours. But how many hours do you think we might work in a lifetime? You know what I guess? I can't imagine you would get this right. I, I, I don't know, you know. 90,000 hours we would spend working in our lifetime. 90,000 hours of our life. That equates into, I don't know, like 3,000 some odd days, 3,700 days or something like that. It equates into about 10.7 years if you never slept, <laughs> you know. And if you live to be, and the average age is about 78, that's about an eighth of your life, right, that you will spend purely working, nothing else. That's actually time at work working. That does not mean, by the way, goofing off on Facebook or other things at work. That means working. You will spend that many hours. Um, uh, here's an interesting thing, too. I found that, seven, uh, that we will have seven to eight different jobs before we're 30 years old. 
right? There's a high turnover in our job and what we do for a living. And, and this maybe this series may be targeted it's like targeted more towards what we end up doing, but there's this uh, transiency, right? There's this temporariness of our work, but sometimes we don't think that's true. We think, well, we're going to have the same job forever. Um, oh, get this. So I said we work 90,000 hours working. We spend 100 hours a year commuting to work. 100 hours a year we spend just getting back and forth to the job. And I know some of you probably spend more than that because I've talked to you. You might spend more than 100 hours a year getting back and forth to work. Uh, Here's some ideas how we spend our, our free time. One in four of us, that's 25%, will call or email or text to check in with work while we're on vacation. I thought that was an interesting stat. I feel a little better now. <laughs> but, you know, um, I thought I was maybe the only one, but apparently one out of four of us do that. Three out of four of you are doing better, by the way. <laughs> Good for you. Um, oh, 60% of us will check in during Thanksgiving or Christmas. Over half. We'll check in at work. That seems crazy to me. And then I start thinking about, so as opposed to what? You know, like I'm talking about work life. As opposed to what? And I hear a lot of stories about what we're going to do when, you know? You make a plan in your life, and you're like, well, whenever I get time, I'm going to fill in the blank. Whenever I, whenever I have enough money, or I have enough resources, or I, I, I have, you know, the kids, or whatever it is, you're waiting to this opportunity. And that's exactly what bears out to be true. Um, some other stats here about how we spend our volunteer time is that, first of all, women volunteer more than men. I was discouraged by that, men. Where are the men at? You know what I mean? Not, not a whole lot, but more. More women volunteer than men, all the way across the age groups. And then um, most people don't volunteer at all until they're in their 50s. 45 to 50 years old, you start to volunteer more than ever before. The highest group of volunteers are over 65. And you were probably thinking what I was thinking. Well, yeah, because that's when you're retired and you've got time to give to other people. But I wonder, what does that mean for the time we spend in work every day? And then this is interesting too. Volunteerism drops as your educational level increases. That means the higher degree you get, the less likely you are to spend your time uh, volunteering anywhere. I was surprised to see that. And I say all those things because I think, okay, so if this is the truth of our life, and if we're not going to have to wait till it's out there someday, then how, how are we to live now in our real lives? How are we to spend those early years um, before we're 50? How, how are we supposed to understand this thing that God has given us in work and, and what it means uh, for us? Work is a huge part of our lives, and... Um, and the other thing is, and this is interesting too about our culture, many of us only want to find a way to get out of work because I think we believe the lie. And I'm talking about myself too. But if you think it with me about the people who you say, man, they've got it made, we, always, we almost always refer to someone who is not working. Or they're working when they want to work, right? They're not working for the man. <laughs> you know what I mean? They don't have to, you know punch the clock, you know, they, they come and go as they please, and we go, man, they got it made. And the problem is that you and I look at our own lives, and we say, but not us. We don't have it made, but they do. We look at people who are retired. We look at people who, um, you know, are, are whatever, just blowing off life, and we go, wow, they got out of work. They have it made. 
All right. So I want to walk through three principles this morning uh, on the idea of work and, and how it should change as, as we are Christians following Jesus together. Um, and the first comes from the book of Genesis. I'm going to invite you to grab a Bible. If you, did, if you didn't bring one today, we have the end of the rows. We should have them out there for you. We're going to turn to Genesis chapter 1. Actually, chapter 2. You can turn to chapter 2 because we're going to start. We're going to spend some time. It's interesting that this concept comes right from the very, very, very beginning of the book. This concept comes, that, that's a powerful thing for me, that this is like not a new idea. It comes from the very, very beginning of the Word of God. I want to show you, look in chapter 1, verse 31 to start with, okay? This is at the end of the creation narrative, when God speaks everything into existence and he creates uh, the universe and the earth and everything in it. And this is what the word says, verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good, or some translation might say exceedingly good. It was very, very good. And there was evening and morning, the sixth day. And you will know then the Lord entered into rest after his creation. Now look with me, if you would, in chapter 2, verse 15 of chapter 2. So at the end of this very goodness, it says this, Yahweh, the Lord God, took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because when you eat of it, you will surely die. And then the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So into this very good creation, God brings this idea of work. And that's the first thing I want us to understand today about work, is that work is God's good plan or God's good idea. I might have talked about this before. I don't know. I think I've written about this before. Um, and maybe I've shared it with you before. But it's, it's not a small thing that work is introduced into the creation narrative before anything is wrong. Right? I mean, many of us would, would believe the lie that we've grown up in and we've taught ourselves that, that work is a bad thing or that work is a, a punishment of some sort. I've told you before about my experiences chopping wood at my house whenever I was little. It was punitive in nature. There was nothing redeeming about it for me. And, and, and we learn, think about it in your own family maybe, you know, we make chores are, are, are punitive almost in nature. you got to get up and do something. But we don't see this at all, do we? That work is God's good uh, idea, or God's good design, his good plan for us. I'll tell you a real quick story, and then I want to get into this text here. But uh, I love this. We were out. Uh, I, w I wasn't there. I was hearing a story. I was going to say I was there. I wasn't. But I had been to the Marcoute Dairy before, and uh, I, a friend of mine went there, and they took their children there, and they were so excited because at the Marcoute uh, Dairy, you work hard. And, and they asked, they said, um, what did you, what did you think about working hard? And they said, we love it. We love it. And they took the opportunity for their children to say, isn't it awesome that they love to work hard? And I thought, wow. Man, that's a great opportunity to teach our children this principle that work is God's good idea. And that becomes the bedrock or a foundation for how we as believers have to understand our jobs. 
And I mean that across the board, right? No matter what we're doing, that we ought to understand that. I share with you in verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 31, that God said it was very good. He was very pleased. He liked what was going on, and he gave the man uh, work to do. A couple of things I want to point out to you about the work, the purpose um, that we serve. And that's one of the things that I want you to understand, is that the reason that this work is God's good uh, idea for us is it gives us a purpose in this life. It wasn't like he just created Adam and Eve and then said, hang out, you know? He gave us something to do. He gave the man something to do. And that comes in, in twofold. You can read it right there. It says, uh, to work it and to care for it, to take care of it. it, it literally means to serve in the garden. To serve in the garden. And I think that's a striking thing, to put a man there and then say, now you serve in the garden. You're a servant. This is what you do. This is who you are, Adam. You're going to be part of this creation that I've made. You're going to be part of it. But not only to serve in the garden, but to protect the garden or to um, uh, watch over it, to care for it, right? It's striking to me that these words, to serve and protect, sound like some of our law enforcement, doesn't it? They're, you sit on the side of all the squad cars, most squad cars, to protect and serve, to serve and protect. They have two jobs to do, right? To keep things safe, but also to serve. Same for us as humans, created in God's image, that we come and we're, we're, we're called to serve and to protect in the garden. Striking reality. The second thing, you'll see it in verse 18, is that not only does God have man there, but he says it's not good for man to be alone, and he says, I will make a helper suitable for him. And so he creates Eve. And Eve becomes the helper or the helpmate to Adam. She is tasked with these same responsibilities then with him, isn't she? To help him to serve. It's not good that he's alone in the garden serving, I suppose. So he says, let's have Eve help him. That is no small uh, thing. So then we as people, husbands and wives, men and women, uh, sisters and brothers, are called to work. That's the biblical model. And the reason I'm making a big deal out of it is because what comes next, if you've read your Bible, you know what comes next is sin. Right? And, and many of our views of work come from our sinful view of the world. But the truth is, this is before sin entered the world, and God said it was very good. And he said, men are going to serve and protect, and women are going to help the men serve and protect, and we're going to do this, and this is going to be a responsibility that we have, and we're going to spend our days serving in the garden. This is God's design for us, and we should not um, make light of that. A few other concepts here from verse 16. The Lord commanded the man, check it out, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. I know what comes next, but that's, I want to stop there for a minute. So not only would his service in this garden be glorifying to God, but then this garden would provide sustenance for him. It would be a provision for Adam. It would be food to eat. And that what it says? You can eat from any tree in the garden, Adam. Serve and protect the garden. It will feed you. And God, through the garden, will feed and protect, or will feed and nourish Adam and then Eve. It's, God will nourish and sustain both of them by his plan. And these are principles that we can take, and no matter what, you go, man, that, I get it, Garden of Eden a long time ago, but this is still the, the model for work, is that we're called to serve, and we're called to protect what God has entrusted to our care, 
and that through our faithfulness and through his provision for us, he will sustain us. But not many of us view work that way at all. We've kind of divorced work from God altogether. What does God have to do with work or how I work or, or, or anything like that? Okay. So my first question then is this. How much would you or your or my outlook on work change if we started to see it as a gift from God? See, I think that changes everything, doesn't it? How would our view of our employment situation change if we started to see it as a provision from the Lord, from God himself? If we started to see that not only do we have to work, but that God has given us an opportunity to work. That he's given us things to do while we're here. He's given us a purpose and a provision, something to, to occupy our days, and it's glorifying to him. I think that that concept that this is a gift from God changes everything in how we view work. All right. Well, then here's the next thing. I want you to turn to, staying in Genesis, chapter 3, uh, verse 16 through 19. You should have it on your engagement sheets, by the way. All these scriptures are in there. So you'll know what happens next is sin enters the world. And sin enters the world through the sinful choice that the one thing that you're not supposed to do, they choose to do. And they absolutely choose to do it, this one thing they aren't supposed to do. And so God, being a truth teller, and he is the only truth teller, he will tell you the truth every time, whether you like it or not, comes then with the implications of their sinful choice. And we're going to start reading that in verse 16. Uh, before we do, I want to say one thing, though. I want you to note that while everyone in this chain of sin points the finger at the next person and says, it's not my fault, it's their fault, every person in the chain is, has consequences for the sin. There's no one that gets un, goes unscathed in this. None. Everyone is negatively affected by the sinful choice that is made. And that also is a transferable principle, still true today. Everyone, no matter how much you say, it's not my fault, someone else's fault, every one of us is affected by our sin. All right? So here we go. And I'm going to skip the first one, but the second one here, in verse 16, the two people we're concerned with, Adam and Eve, to the woman, God said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children, and your desire will be for your husband, and your husband will rule over you. Or, you can read it this way, your desire will be for your man or for men, and men will rule over you. This is the punishment or the result of the sinful choice that Eve made in the garden with Adam. Right? Couple, couple things here, because this is funny. You may not connect this with work necessarily, but man, I don't know if you are like me, but kids are a lot of work. <laughs> you know? Here, listen to me, young people. <laughs> it's a lot of work <laughs> having kids, you know? And I know we all grew up in a house, and we're like, woo, this is easy. <laughs> That's because you're the kid. That's the secret. Because when you're not the kid, it's a lot of work, okay? And, you, and, and all of a sudden, and what the Scripture says is that because of the sinful choice, what God had intended is going to be multiple, multiplied in difficulty. It's going to be exponentially more difficult now. Not only instrument to, to have children, before we talk about, you know, the childbirth thing. I took my eyes, you know what I'm saying? But it means difficulty in conceiving. It means difficulty in the whole process. It means everything is going to get harder because of your sinful choices. Still true today. 
The second thing is equally interesting is that not only will it be magnified difficulty in childbearing, and that means all across the board, childbearing, childrearing, the whole process is going to get harder, but the relationships are going to get harder between men and women. And again, young people, I don't know if you know this, but marriage is hard. I mean, marriage is hard. Hey, friendship is hard, isn't it? Just, just being in the same room with people sometimes is hard. And it, he has this, uh, this result of our sin that manifests in these broken relationships where we say what we can't say what we really mean and we mean what we don't say. You know what I mean? I guess it's wrong and, you know, all this stuff. It's messy, you know, I love, the mo- I love this view here of, like, your, your desire will be uh, for, for a man or for your husband, um, uh, but he will rule over you. I don't want to take that, like, you know, like, you know, but there's this kind of brokenness in our relationships. I wouldn't go down that rabbit trail this morning, but it's there. We can go down if we wanted to. <laughs> um, that's one of the, one of the realities the second thing is that we see here is that uh, to Adam, he speaks to Adam. To Adam, he says, in verse 17, because you listened to your wife, now boy, that will get me in trouble right there, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. The primary issue here is that he, he didn't obey God, right? Um, I don't think there's a model to say never listen to your wife here, but I think he's saying because you listened to Eve and didn't listen to me, because you believed her and didn't believe me, Here's the result. Cursed is the ground because of you. Man, that's striking to me, right? Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, because you are dust, and to dust you will return. This is the result of the sin decision that Adam made and that Eve made. The giving in. So here's the second idea, is that, and this is where we kind of get our concept of work wrong, is that sin makes work hard. Sin makes work hard. See, work was God's good idea, and in sin, it's all broken, it's all messed up, and we see it here, not just in the childbearing we talked about in the relationships, which are hard work, but also in our actual labor is now hard to do, right? Interesting. Cursed is the ground, he says, because of Adam. Through painful toil, you eat of it all the days of your life, right? So now all of a sudden, there's a difference, and we're not in the garden. We're, and they're going to get kicked here in a minute from the garden. But it's all of a sudden, this abundance of the fruit. Isn't it interesting, right? And he says, it'll produce thorns and thistles, and you'll eat the plants of the field. It means the leaves, the grass, like a cow, you know? Like you're going to be lower. You're not going to enjoy the fruit from the tree. You're not going to enjoy the fruit in the garden anymore. It's going to be this kind of gritty, soily, gross thing. It's, it's, it's going to be good, but not, good, not as good as it should be, you know? It's going to be harder. You're going to sometimes want to harvest good things. You're going to harvest bad things instead. Thorns and thistles are going to sprout up in front of you. And man, look at what it says in 19, and you're going to sweat for it. You're going to work hard for it. And you're going to do this all the days of your life. Now, sin makes work hard. And this is then where we kind of get this idea in our lives that, man, you know, I feel like my job is an oppression to me. I feel like I, I should be free. 
you know? That's where we celebrate. They got it made because they don't have to work. But that's a misunderstanding because it's all hard because of the sin. It's all broken. This whole series, we're going to talk about that. How, how the gospel should reshape our relationships with our jobs and then at our jobs. And, and for everyone involved here, by the way, so no matter where you sit in this, right? The gospel should be reshaping how you view that time in your life. There is nothing wasted with God. And we should uh, understand that. So sin makes this hard. Um, and then look in, in verse 19. Um, you will return to the dust, right? I mean, this is the entry of death because you came from the dust. I made you out of the ground and you're going right back to the ground now. And everything will die. Everything will die now because of this sinful choice. And so we realize that this uh, thing that God had made to be good and blessing and beautiful to us becomes a burden and we sweat and we toil and we labor all the days of our life until we die. And that's a really optimistic view, isn't it, <laughs> of work? Um, so then it seems in this case that all of our complaining about work being hard is justified. It really is hard. Your boss really is a jerk, you know what I mean? Uh, you really do have to go in there and try to, you know, find a way to get that, you know, job. You, there, there's this brokenness in all of it. There's this gamemanship in it. There's this sin in it. And it's just that way. None of us, and I don't care, now here's the thing, right? None of us, even if we've been taught that other idea that God, that work is God's good plan for us, are free from this, though. We all have some broken, skewed vision of, of the purpose of work. It's, it's, it's in our sin nature. We were all part of, we're all after Adam and Eve's sin here. And so all of a sudden, everything is kind of twisted and wrong, a little bit wrong. And maybe if, if you're a boss, it's a little bit wrong for you. If you succeed, your heart's a little bit twisted about it because of the sin in the world. So that's kind of the, uh, the blessing is that God, the work is good. And I'll I say again, man, it's good for you. One of the problems that I think we teach our younger generation, and I'm not saying as one who's not guilty, is that uh, avoiding work is a benefit because avoiding work is a tragedy in our lives. If, if, if your whole goal is to get out of work, you're, you're, it's just going to be an awful life for you. It's not the way God designed it to be, right? Work is intended to be a blessing to us. We get a chance to do it. It's a gift from God, and it's good for us, and it's good for others. It really is a blessing. But then there's this idea that the curse is there, the sin, the brokenness, the failure, and all those things are rooted in our own sinful choices. And before I move on, I want to say one more thing. You might say, well, that ain't fair, man. I wasn't there with Adam and Eve. I didn't eat that fruit. I don't know what they were doing. I wouldn't have done the same thing. But the, here's the thing. We, we still sin in our work. We just do, you know. I would, if you think you haven't sinned at work, I'd love to talk to you. <laughs> I'd love to. Gosh, I know I have, man. Much as I don't want to, I know I have. So what's the solution then? If that's the blessing and the curse, what's the solution for it? Well, if you've been here for a while, you're going to know the solution is what it always is, and it's Jesus himself. I'm going to ask you to turn to Ephesians. We're going to read two different, chap two different verses here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 5 through 7 today. 
And then I'm going to read this, and then I want to actually flip, and we're going to go to uh, Colossians next and read that. They almost say the same thing, so I'm going to put them both out there, and then we're going to talk a little bit about why this should matter to us as believers in Jesus, and why we'd even spend four weeks in the series talking about work at all. This is what the Word says. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. It's the admonition on how we are to live and to work in this life. And then go ahead and turn just a few pages back to Colossians 3. I'm going to read a couple of verses from Colossians 3 as well. Starting in verse 22. It'll sound almost the same. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not men. Since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord, as a reward, because it is Christ, the Lord Christ, whom you serve. Right? So both of these texts say basically the same thing. And you, if you're a biblical scholar, you'll know they're both written by Paul, right into the churches. But the same concept in both, that we are called to serve. And I want to point out verse 7 of Ephesians. Serve wholeheartedly with all of your heart. Now, see, if a minute ago you said to me, well, Bill, I, I don't really sin at work. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy or girl. I do my job pretty well. But I wonder, is there any ever part of your heart where you're not completely giving everything you've got? There's this uh, concept out there I've heard this week uh, called slacktivism. Have you heard of this before, slacktivism? This is like a fancy, this is made up word, it's not real. <laughs> but, but it means this, it means when you decide to withhold part of your service to your employer because of some perceived slight, they don't deserve it. They, they, they've done you wrong. They're underpaying you. How, how many of you are underpaid? All of you are underpaid. That's right, raise your hand. Come on, you know you're underpaid. If you're here, you're underpaid, aren't you? I'm not saying because you're here, <laughs> by the way, you know. And so selectivism is like, I'm going to give them like 85% of my, you know what I mean? I'm going to, or some of you are giving like 10% here, you know, I'm going to give them 10%, and that's about all they're going to get from me until they give me a raise and give me some benefits in this place, you know what I mean, a better coffee machine or something like that, right? No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says serve wholeheartedly. Give everything that you have into your work. And, and, and you'd be like, well, wait a minute. And we're talking about this, you know. I don't know my boss, how they're treating me. That's not true, is it? Do you reserve part of your heart, you know? Do you save a little back? You've got to make sure that you have some, somewhere to go. You don't give them all. Give it all to them now, because then what are they going to promote you for, right? Or how about this? Uh, serve wholeheartedly when they're not watching. <laughs> <laughs> right? 
Not whenever your boss is there, not when the CEO comes in, not whenever the big wig comes down, you know, and get the, everybody look busy, you know what I mean? But like when nobody's around, you're just diligent, man. You're working, you're going, you're doing it, no matter what, you know? And your heart, you feel that. You feel that brokenness, you know, that like I'm not being treated right and all that stuff, but I'm going to serve with everything I got and nobody's watching. I'm going to keep serving hard. I'm going to do the right thing at all times. Why? As though you're serving the Lord. Wait a minute. What Colossians say? Because it's the Lord that you are serving, the Lord Jesus. Do you believe that's true? Do you believe that the way you choose to work demonstrates your faith that you're working for Jesus? Because that's the truth of a Christian life, is that we work for Jesus. I told you earlier, seven, eight jobs before you're 30. Who are you working for? You know, this boss, that boss, the other boss? Are you working for the King Jesus? Do you have some bigger view of what your days entail? All right. Then the last thing here I'll say on this is, is um, so not only do we work when no one's watching, we're just as faithful no one, I can't tell you how important that is in your life. That when nobody's watching, you do the right things, you're working hard, you're doing the right things. But this, it's not, it's regardless of position, this text is crazy because the first word in it is slaves. Actually, both these texts, the first word is slaves. If there's ever anyone who would have a right to say, I'm not being treated fairly, be someone who is an indentured servant. And, and you can say the biblical model for slavery is different than the model that we know as United States citizens when the people were, you know, captured and brought over slaves. Some of these people had gotten themselves into debt. You know, I don't know if you got like that. Have you got yourself into debt and now you're, you're working for the man to pay off the debt? You know, that's kind of the slavery here. But it doesn't matter because they have no choice. You know, they're, they're under the man's thumb. They have to. And they could be the most bitter people ever. They could be the most hostile, like self-righteous, indignant people ever. But Paul says, don't do that. No. Work with your whole heart in everything. Serve not just to win their favor. Look at that. Don't just try to make your boss happy with you. But serve them when they aren't even watching anymore. So all of a sudden we realize this, that in these two texts, and these become our foundational texts for the series. We'll come back to them a couple times. We're going to talk about things beyond this. We have this idea that everything that we do on this earth, including those 90,000 hours of work that we give, including those 100 hours a year of commuting that we give, everything that we do and breathe and be, the meals, everything we do should be tied to the lordship of Jesus Christ, our Savior. should be tied back directly. So whenever we serve others, we don't serve as if we're serving them alone, but we're serving the Lord, Right? When we serve others, we don't serve just to win favor from them because we know the Lord is watching. And we'll receive an, an eternal inheritance for our faithfulness demonstrated when no one's looking. We serve them with everything that we have, and we serve them regardless of our position. See, this text is hard for people to deal with. And I've seen people, not many people in the church even talk about this text, work as unto the Lord. Not many people talk about it. But people outside of church love to talk about this text. Do you know what your Bible says you condone slavery? Is that what that says? That says that God loves us beyond our position. And we will talk, because if you read on there in verse 9, it talks about if you're the boss, 
you ain't beyond God's sovereignty either. And all of a sudden, everything falls under the purview, the dominion of Jesus himself. The brokenness in our world is demonstrated all the time around us. And if you turn on the nightly news, you, you know, get out your, your mobile app, you know, your news app or whatever, your RSS feed, whatever it is you get in your daily, your Facebook, it's filled. It's filled with the things that we choose to do when no one is watching. Right? The scandals, the sin that becomes so out there, Right? All the things that we choose to do when we think no one is watching. But that's not to be so with us as Christians. We're to be doing the right things when no one is watching. And if everyone is watching, we do the right thing. We're obeying the Spirit of God in our lives. And this then becomes an integration. And that's what our goal is with all this. Is that your faith and my faith will be fully integrated into our lives. That's the goal. So, as we wrap this morning... A couple of things. I want you to spend a moment right now thinking about your job. And wherever that is, if that's, you know, you're working for a corporation, maybe you work for yourself, maybe you're transitioning between jobs right now, maybe you stay at home, you raise children, whatever your job is, maybe your, maybe your job is to be a student. That's your, whole, your job right now. Or maybe you have multiple responsibilities Think about your job for a second and ask this question. Are you doing all that you can to glorify Jesus in your work? Is that true? Do we do everything we can? Or, or how about this? When you get out of bed each morning, whose approval are you looking for first? If at the end of the day, after, after a full day of serving, you put your head on the pillow who is it that in your true heart of hearts you're hoping was pleased above all else? Is that yourself? Maybe a spouse? Your boss? Or do you somehow tie that experience, that life, into the sovereignty of Jesus in your life? Who, and I, man, I'm telling you up here this morning, I'm not telling you this one has all figured out, but that's a hard question. Whose approval do we seek? Or how about this? Um, have you claimed that Jesus is Savior in your life? And many of us have done that. I said, yes, you're my Savior. I need to be saved from my sin. I'm a broken and flawed man. I, I, you know, I, and the gospel and the cross is, is a, a price that could not be paid by us, and we, we rightly come to him and we say, oh, God, forgive us for our sins. Would you take this burden from us? And he does. That's the gospel. And many of us have made that confession that he's Savior. But have we also confessed that Jesus is Lord over our lives? And from that position of humility, that position of brokenness and our sinfulness, do we then look up to the cross and say, Lord, what would you have me to do today? What would you have me to do? Have you claimed that he is both Savior and Lord? And then the last question, and I'm going to pray, is this. If you said he is Savior, and you said he is Lord, does your life, does my life look like that's true? Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much 
uh, for your love for us, uh, for your creation that we're part of, that we get to be here with you and be here with others. Father God, this morning as we examine and for the week this coming, as we look at our jobs and what you have us doing, I pray that you would help us to see with new eyes the opportunities you've given us, but all that we would um, see you there, that we would acknowledge your sovereignty over our situation. Father God, I pray that each of us, each one of us here today, would, would know that you love us enough that you won't leave us stuck where we are that you are a God who draws us out of our sinful life into the abundant life that you had planned for us. And Father God, today as we have uh, claimed the, the salvation message of Jesus, um, if there's a brother or a sister here this morning that don't believe that's true, I pray that your spirit would convict them of the truth of the gospel. That they would not only acknowledge that you are Lord, but that they need you to be saved. That they would submit their lives fully to you and see what you would have. For them. And then, Father, for those of us who know you as Savior, I pray that we would know you as Lord. I pray that it wouldn't be like a Sunday thing here and then a weekday thing there and then a home life thing here, but that your Lordship would surpass everything else in our life. And, and that no matter who it is that's speaking so closely in our ear, trying to get us to listen, that we would listen first to you that we would have the character and the conviction, the, the presence of your Holy Spirit to be obedient to you when it's hard to listen to you instead of even listening to ourselves. Father, today as we celebrate the gospel and the good news, I pray that we would have hearts that not just um, reluctantly submit to your lordship, but those who are just eager to serve you as the best boss ever, that <laughs> we would be willing to say, Lord, what do you want? Um, beyond our circumstance and beyond our current uh, situation. May you be glorified as we come and seek you today. I give you thanks and praise for your word, for your spirit, and for your great love for us in Jesus Christ. Amen.